rest of you can turn uh, in your Bibles or in your bulletin to Matthew chapter 21. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 11. Um, as you're turning there, I want you to think, um, have you ever thought that you knew a person? You kind of like had thought you'd figured out their personality, um, maybe generally what they're like, but, but then you had an experience with them where it revealed just this totally new side of them that you didn't yet know. Uh, my first year of college, I met a friend named Russell, and Russell was from Houston, Texas, and I was not from Texas, I was from Missouri, and so I had all these, you know, mostly inaccurate stereotypes about what Texas people were like, and um, to me, Russell sort of embodied in a beautiful way um, some of those stereotypes about Texas people. Um, He wore Wrangler jeans, uh, he wore cowboy boots, and he had multiple different kinds of boots uh, for different occasions. Um, And uh, he was even one where like, uh, when he would go to class, he dressed in a way where it looked like he just came off of working on a ranch. And so he was like in an accounting class, but it looked like he had just, you know, been, you know, ranching, if that's what one does on a ranch. Uh, But in my mind, Russell was the ultimate Texan. And then one night we were together with a group of friends uh, in the lobby of a dorm and there was a piano over in the corner and Russell walks over to the piano and I'm like, what is he doing? And Russell sits down at this piano and, and he starts playing and he starts singing and there's no sheet music out. He's playing for, and singing from memory and it's some of the best piano playing that I've ever heard up to this point in my life. And he's playing songs that everyone knows, like songs by Journey and like Elton John and Phil Collins, ones that are just like, that sound awesome on the piano, that everyone knows the words to. And we start singing along, and it just goes on for like an hour. And um, come to find out, he was completely self-taught. He, had just, he just had one of those ears and those minds. He could, just, he could just do this. And I remember walking back to my dorm that night thinking, you know, I thought I knew Russell, but I didn't know Russell. Now I know Russell. Sometimes we think we know Jesus, uh, who he is, what he's like, um, but then we'll see something totally new and something unexpected about him in his word that, that massively kind of reorients and reshapes how we think about him. Um, Dane Ortland, in his book Gentle and Lowly, says that this is actually a big part of growing as a Christian, is having these, these deeper understandings of what Jesus is really like. He says, quote, the Christian life from one angle is the long journey of letting our natural assumption about who God is over many decades fall away, being slowly replaced with God's own insistence on who He is. And this is hard work, he says. Um, We have all kinds of these natural assumptions about who God is. And maybe our assumptions about God have been more shaped by other people that we've known growing up who consider themselves Christians, and maybe sometimes those weren't the best examples of what Jesus is really like. Maybe they've been shaped by culture at large or by a particular political movement. Uh, Or maybe we just have kind of vague ideas about who God is that we've never really like leaned in and grappled with. Um, What if uh, instead of being confused about Jesus or misunderstanding who he is, uh, what if we could really know him for who he truly is? Now, this is what our passage is going to do for us this morning. Jesus is going to show us more of who he really is. Uh, today is referred to as Palm Sunday. Uh, it's where we remember the final week of Jesus' life leading up to his death and resurrection. And it begins with what's called the triumphal entry, where he enters back into Jerusalem for this final week of his life. And the way in which he enters into Jerusalem is going to show us something important about who he is. 
So with this in mind, let's look at God's Word. Matthew chapter 21, beginning in verse 1. Now when, they, uh, now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and the others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. The word of the Lord. Father, we do thank you for your word. Uh, What a gift to us that you have spoken to us. Uh, We pray that you would do that just now by your Holy Spirit. Uh, Spirit, if you don't move in us, we can't know you. And that is our heart's desire. So, Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, two headings this morning as we think about this. Um, The first is this. Uh, We're going to see that Jesus shows us who he really is. And then secondly, we're going to look at how we respond to who Jesus is. So first, we see that Jesus shows us who he is. Um, What is made more clear about Jesus in this passage? There's there's three things, at least, and they're all related to what kind of king Jesus is. This is showing his kingship. And and there's sort of three things that unpack that. Uh, The first is this, that Jesus shows us that he's the promised king. She shows us he's the promised king. Look at verses 4 and 5 again. It says, This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophets, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. Okay, so Matthew is quoting two different Old Testament passages here to show us that Jesus is the fulfillment of these Old Testament promises. He's quoting Isaiah 62, 11 and Zechariah 9, 9 to tell us that the prophets, this is what the prophets have been talking about, that this rescuer was going to come and bring salvation and judgment, and that Jesus is that promised one. This is the fulfillment of that which has been promised. I was at a friend's house yesterday, and as I was leaving, my friend and I were um, walking um, back out front to my car, and his six-year-old son uh, was sitting alone on their front steps, and he was staring out past the driveway to the street. And my friend told me that um, his son had earned some money the day before and had ordered a new watch. And he was sitting there waiting for the watch to arrive. He said his son woke up early that morning, did the very same thing. He sat on the front steps watching for the truck to pull up and deliver the watch. And sure enough, here we were at the end of the day. Yesterday evening, he was sitting there again waiting. And even as my friend and I stood there talking Um, this child made at least two trips to the mailbox to see just in case he had missed the truck if the watch had been delivered yet. Uh, But the watch had been ordered and he'd received his his confirmation for the order 
And now he was waiting for that confirmation to be made good on by the watch company to see it actually delivered. In this passage, God is making good on his promise to send a king to rescue his people. Uh, And do you see that this promised king is coming to you? Did you notice how the text says that? This is something that's unique about Christianity. Um, It's the one religion where God comes to his people to rescue them rather than making them come to him. Jesus has come to you. He says elsewhere that he came to seek and to save the lost. Uh, Prior to living in South Carolina, my family and I lived in Kentucky and we did college ministry there. I'll never forget the local church that we were connected to where we worshiped there. There was this young teenager um, who ran away from home, who was having some issues and he ran away from home. He got really upset, left his house one night and his parents didn't know where he was. And um, as soon as they realized he was missing, um, the dad called the pastors of the church called his friends, and there was this like instant search party with flashlights and headlamps. They were searching through the woods around the house, and they were calling out for the boy. And sure enough, just a few hours later, thankfully they found this boy, and he was okay. And, and as a parent, you hear this, and you're like, of course. Of course the parent's first response was to go find their child, because that, that's what parents do. Why? Because they love their kids. You don't even think about it. It's almost an automatic response to go rescue your kid. Jesus comes to you because he loves you. And his coming to you has been promised from the very beginning. He's the promised king. All right, what else does Jesus show us in this passage about who he really is, about what type of king he is? Jesus shows us he's a powerful king. He's not just promised, he's powerful. Look at verse 1. So then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village in front of you and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say the Lord needs them. He'll send them at once. All right, really easy to gloss over that, but this shows us a few things about just how powerful of a king Jesus is. And the first thing it shows us is that he's sovereign. Uh, It means that he's in control of everything. He says, you will find the donkey He will send them at once. He's telling his disciples what will happen. This is showing us that God is in control of all things. And that can certainly raise a lot of questions about human agency and and free will and the problem of evil. Um, And all those are really important important questions to work through. Um, But can you see the comfort that comes from God's sovereignty? This means that nothing is random. That nothing is outside of God's control. Um, That nothing is more powerful than God. That nothing is a threat to God. Kids, nothing scares God. Uh, Nothing is unexpected or surprising to God. He is in control. And it doesn't feel good to be in situations that feel out of control. Have you ever been in a situation that kind of felt out of control or or you didn't know like who was in charge and you instantly started feeling anxious about it? Um, My family and I recently went on a road trip and um, the trip kind of took us into the evening and so we needed to stop somewhere to get dinner. And so we stopped at a subway. Great spot to stop stop for dinner, regardless of uh, what I'm about to say here. Um, As we walked in, uh, there was this couple in front of us um, and... 
uh, it, it sort of had an interesting feel the minute we walked in, but the couple was standing there in front of us. Uh, they were looking at the menu. We walk in. We start looking at the menu, and, you know, we're on a road trip. We just want to get our sandwiches and, and get moving, and, and, uh, and so we're waiting, and we kind of notice there's no one behind the counter, but, you know, they'll be back in a minute, and, uh, and we just keep waiting. We're kind of looking at the counter, and it gets to be the amount of time where it just begins. We begin to feel a little bit anxious, like there's just there's no one here. And there's the people in front of us, and there's the five of us. And, and, and so we just kind of like keep staring. You can only stare at the subway mini for so long. And then we kind of look at the couple in front of us and kind of make eye contact. I don't know. And so I kind of look around the counter, and it, it looks like someone hadn't been there for a long time. It's a little disheveled kind of behind the counter, and, and we just kind of keep waiting. And so we, we ask them, you know, hello, is, is anyone in here? And we start calling out, and there's so, like, like we can hear something in the back. Eventually, these two workers uh, come out. They, they didn't seem really thrilled to see us, uh, but they, they eventually they, they came out, and we decided to go ahead and move on at this point. But there was this, this feeling in that moment when we were standing there waiting where, like, I know this is just a subway, but, but this is a space where it feels like someone behind the counter is supposed to be kind of, like, in control of this whole situation, like, guiding me through the sandwich-making process. And to not have that, it made us feel anxious. Okay, project that feeling... Uh, onto a cosmic level of wondering, um, is God real? If so, is he in control or not? Not knowing the answer to that question is deeply troubling. But in this snapshot of this passage, we see that Jesus is so powerful that he is in control. That he's got us. And that we've got nothing to worry about because he's so powerful. So it shows us that he's sovereign. That's what we learn about his power. We also learn that he's Lord. And you see this in verse 3 when he refers to himself as Lord. This is the most direct that Jesus has been about himself up to this point in Matthew's gospel. He's been slow to unveil this about himself up to this point. But moving into the last week of his life, we learn more directly from him that he's not just a great teacher. He's not just a great prophet. But he's Lord. So what do we see about Jesus? He's a promised king. He's a powerful king. Third, Jesus shows us he's the humble king. Look at verse 5 again. Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey. Uh, These words would have pushed against what the crowd would have expected of the Messiah. Um, This passage, again, it's called the triumphal entry. And this audience actually already had a category for this. Um, Dan Doriani was a professor of mine, and he wrote a commentary on uh, Matthew's gospel. And he describes these three typical features of a triumphal entry. And let's see how they match up to our text. The first is this. He says that the reason for this would be to celebrate a victory or an important visit. And I think our text meets that criteria. Check, right? Celebrate a victory. Jesus is about to achieve victory on the cross. It's an important visit from Jesus. Okay, that, number one, check. Number two, the conqueror would be met with crowds cheering and praising them. All right, that that works here. Check. All right, that lines up. That's what's happening. There's crowds cheering him on. The third thing is this, and I'll quote him here. It says, the great man would enter the city on a war horse, a royal steed, or a chariot. No check. Not in this case. Uh, Jesus does not enter on a grand war horse or a royal steed or a chariot, though that would have been standard for a triumphal entry. Instead, he enters on a donkey, a beast of burden. Uh, Why would this have been difficult for the crowds to take in? 
Because the crowds wanted a big, powerful king on a big, powerful horse, not one on a donkey. And they wanted immediate political power now. They wanted Jesus to come and fix things now, conquer now. But that's not the way of Jesus. Instead, he rides in on this donkey into this week ahead, a week that would be full of of, of, um, shattering expectations, what people thought their Messiah would be like. A week of being misunderstood. A week of questioning. A week of betrayal by his followers. A week of being arrested and mocked and ultimately crucified. This is how Jesus reveals himself as king, as the humble king. And these are the terms on which we need to receive Jesus. Again, Doriani says this, quote, Jesus is king, but we must let him define his kingship. We must receive Jesus as he is, not as we would like him to be. We must let him come on a donkey, not a stallion. We must let him define his reign. And as he defines his reign, his kingship, he defines it as one of humility. And it had to be this way. Um, Jesus had to be humiliated. He had to suffer and die in order for our sin to be dealt with and in order for the resurrection to happen. Um, There had to be death before there was life. Um, And the path that Jesus took, it was not one of upward, immediate conquering, but of downward suffering and humility that led him to the cross. Uh, Without his humility, there would be no salvation for us. Jesus shows us that he's promised, that he's powerful, and that he's humble. And I used to have this teacher who would always say, all right, now that you know what you, what you know, what will you do? Now that you know what you know, what will you do? And so that's the question that's actually invited on us uh, this morning. Now that we know who Jesus is, what will we do? Let's talk about responding to who Jesus is. We actually see some responses in our passage, um, but this is really going to, this idea of responding is really going to be put into our lap this morning and invite us to answer the question for ourselves of how we're responding to Jesus. All right, so what do we see in the crowds? The first response is Hosanna. Hosanna, look at verse 7. They brought the donkey and the colt and put uh, on them their cloaks and they sat on, and he sat on them most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. So the crowds, is quite a scene. They're taking uh, their cloaks, laying them on the ground. This would have been a sign of submission to a king by taking your cloak and doing that. Palm branches are cut and pulled off, laid over their cloaks. This would have been a victory symbol, the palm branch, a victory symbol for the Jewish people. Um, these things together would have been sort of an equivalent of like rolling out the red carpet for someone. Uh, maybe as you think about like the Oscar, sh- you know, pre-Oscar show where they're showing everyone's outfits and they're walking down the red carpet. That's kind of a similar sort of idea here. Um, and they're yelling, Hosanna, which means save or save, please. Um, what do they mean when they say this? Could be a few different things. Um, in this context, shouting something like Hosanna would often have kind of political connotations, um, similar to saying something like God save the queen. Um, so there could have been some in the crowds who were saying this from like a political perspective, as in like, hey, give us power now, take things over now, take charge now, Jesus. Uh, but surely there were others who were saying this that had begun to know Jesus for who he really was. 
that that light had been flipped on for the first time and for them to cry out, save, please, was for them a desperate cry of repentance and belief that the king had come from the line of David in the name of the Lord, even though they didn't fully understand what this next week would look like. So the first response, Hosanna, uh, mark that response. So we're going to think about our own responses in a moment. Second response, who is this? Who is this? Look at verse 10. When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And again, this question likely had different motives behind it for the different people asking it. And for the religious leaders, who is this that is threatening our power? That is stirring people up? It's getting the attention of the masses. This would be more of a, who does he think he is? Question. To others, it might have been more genuine curiosity. Uh, Who is this who's teaching in a way that we've never heard before? Uh, Who is this who's miraculously healing the sick? Uh, Who is this that's identifying with the marginalized that no one else wants to identify with? Um, Who is this that's spending time with the bad people in town? Who is this that's uh, spending time with the unclean people? Um, Who is this that's promising real salvation and real hope and real life beyond what this world has to offer? Who is this that's saying that he himself is the way and the truth and the life? Genuine curiosity. Uh, Who is this is the most important question for us to answer this morning. Have you answered that question? Kids, uh, you are likely here this morning because your parents made you come to church. And uh, you may like being here. You may not be so thrilled to be here. Uh, You may be really thrilled to be here because you know that sometimes kids get balls out of that closet and this turns into like a big dodgeball game at the end of worship. And like that's the highlight for you. Um... But kids, I want, you to ask, I want to ask you this question. Um, have you thought about who Jesus is? Have you thought about whether you really believe in Him? Have you thought, maybe this isn't just something for my parents, or something that my parents make me do every Sunday, or something that this church thing, is, is, they're always talking about. But have you thought about your own personal belief in Jesus? This question is for all of us kids. It's a question for you to think about today. Um, Others who are here this morning, um, and maybe you're here at the invite of a friend, and you feel maybe on the fence about Christianity and the whole church thing, and maybe it's because we're a newer kind of church plant, you you could get there. You know, you could could at least step in the door today. Um, We want you to feel welcomed here. We want you to feel that you have space to ask hard questions and to, and to think through your doubts, to be honest about them, to be in process wherever you're at this morning. Um, you will come to a point, however, where you need to think for yourself, the, what is the answer to this question for you? Who is Jesus? And based on how you answer it, how are you going to respond? Uh, based on knowing what you know, what will you do? Um, a few years ago, I had the opportunity to go to a conference in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, and the airport is actually inside of the boundaries of Grand Teton National Park. If you've ever flown in there, that you've experienced this, it's unbelievable. 
Um, so you literally land on the runway, and it's a small airport, and so there's not like a, a bunch of the gates and stuff that you hook up to, but you land on the runway, and they wheel the big staircase up to the plane, and you actually deboard the plane on the runway where you walk down the stairs. And as you um, walk down the stairs, you immediately standing, you're standing on the tarmac outside, and you're, you just get a whiff of like, it's a mix of like jet fuel and fresh mountain air. And you look up, and you see the Grand Tetons. Uh, the snow-capped peaks. And they're, they're so large when you're standing on that runway that it almost feels like they're falling down on top of you. And I was on a plane. It was my first time there, but I was on a plane where there were some locals who were coming back home. And, and every, every person that stepped off of those stairs onto that tarmac and looked up at the Grand Tetons had to say something. Uh, either they were taking pictures, or they were just standing in awe, or they were commenting on how uh, beautiful and, and awe-inspiring it was. Uh, but it was so great, you just you had to respond. Jesus is so great, you have to respond. You can't ignore him. He's the promised one. He's a powerful king. And he's a humble king who came to you. Meaning that he sees the real you this morning. And he's powerful enough to handle you. He's powerful enough to handle your story. Uh, your story doesn't scare Jesus. He's powerful enough to handle your past. Um, there's nothing that you've done, no sin, no mistake, no matter how public or private, no matter how life-altering, there is no sin that he can't handle. He's that powerful. And he's humble. Um, he loves you so much that he suffered for you. And he knows what suffering is like in this world. And he is intimately aware of your particular uh, nuanced suffering that you're experiencing this morning. He knows. How will you respond to him? Um, to say no to Jesus and maybe to try to keep him sort of like bundled up for a, maybe an occasional Sunday morning thing um, is to say that you are going to have to find uh, this type of power and comfort from something else in life. And has anything else in life ever really delivered for you? Um, have you found anything else that gives you lasting meaning? That you don't uh, get bored of? Or that you don't need more of? Um, anything that actually deals with the guilt that we all feel inside? Uh, to say yes to Jesus, though, is to embrace Him for who He is. As the humble King who is coming to you on a donkey... And to surrender control of your life to Him and follow Him. We really can know Jesus for who He really is. And He offers all of Himself to you this morning. Won't you receive Him by faith? Let's pray. Father, thank You. Thank You that You sent Your Son, the promised, powerful, humble King, to come and rescue us, even when we were running in the other direction. You came after us, seeking to save the lost, lost people like us this morning. Father, for those here who don't yet believe, would you give them the gift of faith? May this be the day of salvation. For those here who do believe, would you strengthen our belief, strengthen our faith, strengthen our hope? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.